Welcome to the Fit Mom MD podcast. Today, Jenny gives us an update on COVID-19, sharing with us some of the big concerns for healthcare workers and what you can do to help. Jenny Hobbs, Fit Mom MD. Welcome back. This week, I'm once again going to be talking to you about the coronavirus, novel coronavirus or COVID-19. I know you're probably kind of on the one hand tired of hearing about it, but I also feel like this is the area where I can offer you the most value and support this week. I did speak about this topic last week, so if you haven't already heard that, please go check it out. I'll link it here. Um, In that discussion, I spoke about what this virus is, what's different about it versus other viruses, why we're concerned, some of the statistics and numbers that you need to be able to interpret to understand what physicians are saying and why it's not the same as the flu. Um, So please do check that out. If you do have friends or family who are not quite getting it um, or potentially are misinformed, this is a really good thing to send them as well, the the original talk that I did, because it really gives the background. And I've had a lot of feedback from people that simply sending it to their families has been really informative and helpful. So, So please do check that out if you haven't already. This week, I want to take that a step further and talk with you about some updates in the past week um, and current situation as it stands, and then, of course, talk about what you can do. So how you play a role and how your role is really vital in uh, fighting this pandemic. Before I go into that, I do just want to quickly remind you that I am uh, who I am. So I am a board-certified internal medicine physician. I do work in Snohomish County here in Washington State, which is one of the counties with the highest number of COVID patients. I do work at night in the hospital. So my job is to admit people with various diseases, including possibly COVID, get them uh, admitted to the hospital, direct their care, and then also um, I cover on the patients that are staying in the hospital um, at night and any issues or emergencies like... Like, let's say that they have trouble breathing or they need to go to the intensive care unit. I'm the one that helps to cover on those issues. As a result, I do see a lot of uh, COVID illness um, and I do have a good sense of the disease process from that experience. With that said, I'm not an infectious medicine doctor, infectious disease doctor. That's not my subspecialty. So just keep that in mind. And then, of course, keep in mind that I'm not speaking on behalf of my employer or my hospital in any way. This is a private venture that I am doing and speaking from my own personal views and experience. Um, And the last thing is just remember that COVID is basically a brand new disease. So for a lot of us as physicians, we do our best to bring you timely information that is um, well-researched, but I can only speak to what I've researched and understood today and is constantly changing and rapidly evolving. So I can't say this will always be true and I can't say that everything is perfectly accurate because some of the information we have is just preliminary. So please keep that in mind and give me a little bit of grace if I say something here that you know in a month from now seems completely irrelevant or inaccurate. We are all just doing our best in a time when there's a lot of uncertainty. All right, so I think the easiest way to go through this would be to go through the things that we're seeing right now and the issues that we're having and then talk about some ideas of ways that you can help us fight this. So one of the big things that we're seeing is a large number of cases in our state. So the recorded total I think now is over 1,100 in Washington state, um, and that is the most uh, COVID cases of any state in the country aside from New York state, which has like 5,000. And we do, we do have very severe disease, so we actually have 68 people who have died from this in our state, which is the most of any state. Um, so this large number of cases is actually probably still an underestimate because we do have difficulty getting adequate testing, and we simply don't have the ability to test and screen large numbers of patients who don't have severe symptoms. But we have at least that many. So this big uh, number of cases is a problem because 
as the people get evaluated, they need to be quarantined, right? So they can't see anybody. They got to stay home. Um, they have the potential to spread it to their family members or anyone they're in contact with. And then, of course, a lot of those people are sick enough that they need to come into the hospital to be evaluated. So that adds um, uh, this whole group of patients that needs to come in the hospital and also be somehow isolated so as not to infect uh, healthcare workers or other patients. And so that is the huge thing we're seeing now is just this this uptick in cases and probably a lot of unreported cases. Um, in my job, we typically admit patients for a whole wide range of diseases. And now when we go through our day and admit patients, almost all of them are coming in with either suspected COVID or um, you know they may have another problem, but we're also needing to check them for COVID because it's just so widespread right now. And as you can imagine, in terms of resources, it's a real problem when we have this many people being evaluated for this highly infectious, contagious uh, illness. The second issue that's related to that is we have a ton of spread within our community of people who don't know they have COVID. So we believe that this disease can be transmitted to others before you really have symptoms for a few days um, or when you just have very mild symptoms, like maybe a tickle in your throat or a low-grade fever or a little bit of an achiness. So because of that, we just have so many people in our community that have no idea they have it. We, of course, again, don't have the ability to test and screen everyone. And so as they go about their daily life, they're spreading it with people around them in the community. And this is despite efforts to really improve you know, our social distancing. It, some of it is you know, really difficult to stop. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I've admit, admitted people who don't leave their houses or only around their family, but a family member goes to and from work each day, gets a cold, then gives it to that person, then that person gets pneumonia, and then that person gets admitted to the hospital, even though they've done everything that they can to try to prevent that. Because we know that being in close contact with someone within your home is one of the biggest ways you can transmit this disease. All right, so the next big issue we have is testing. Um, as you may remember, the testing in the entire country was very much delayed because of various political which issues that I won't go into. And so we didn't have good testing at first. The University of Washington here came up with their own test, which had been really, really amazing and has helped us so much. Um, at one point, we were down to about a 24-hour turnaround time with that test. However, now, because there's such a great need for testing, the turnaround time has become more like two to three days. And so, as you can imagine, this limits our ability to screen out patients, get a sense of how many people are infected, who needs to be isolated. It limits us in terms of knowing which of our patients on the inpatient side truly need to have these aggressive isolation procedures. It limits us knowing which patients who are very sick could be potentially candidates for a trial drug for, trial drug for COVID because we, it takes two to three days to find out if they really even have this disease. Um, it also limits us with healthcare workers who may be exposed or having symptoms, um, and they have to go on quarantine and can't work for two to three days while we wait for their COVID testing to come back. So testing is a really huge issue, not just here, but everywhere in the country. There, People are reporting not having enough of the, the culture or medium to take the tests back to the lab, lack of reagents, etc. So really huge problem. And that's all in addition to the fact that we don't actually know how 100% accurate these tests are. So there's a chance that sometimes we are doing a test and it's coming back negative, but the person may still have the disease. Um, now, a positive test is pretty much something that you can rely on in this case, but the negative testing, you know, we have seen people who have bad disease who had a negative test first and then they came back positive later. So that's very concerning um, because we're putting a lot of weight under this test, even though it's delayed so long. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of issues around testing. Another big issue that we have is a lack of personal protective equipment. So um, nurses, techs, and physicians who are working with these patients are at high risk. We know um, very high risk of getting ill. 
um, and having severe disease. We've seen that from other countries. We've seen that here. We have um, a 44-year-old previously completely healthy emergency medicine physician here in our state on a ventilator with COVID. Um, he doesn't have any other risk factors um, other than the fact that he works in healthcare and probably saw a lot of patients with COVID and so probably got a lot of exposure. Um, and so what we need to do, because we know that young healthy doctors are getting sick with this, not to mention nurses and other staff, um, is we need to protect ourselves. So we need to be wearing masks and gowns and gloves and all these things. Um, and as you may have heard, there's a shortage of masks. And there's two kinds of masks we talk about with COVID. There's just the basic mask, which is sun protection, and then there's the N95 respirator, which is even better protection. There's a lot of debate about which we mostly need for this disease and which cases we need what, but the bottom line is we've got a shortage of all of it. So hospitals are, you know, pulling out expired <laughs> masks from their storage, requesting them from other areas of the country that may be less affected. Um, People are fashioning their own masks. People are reutilizing masks in order to make them last longer. And so this is a huge problem because as you can imagine, we can't have our workforce getting sick with COVID, um, not being able to work. Even if they have mild disease, they can't come to work because they'll spread it to others. And remember, you can be spreading it before you know it. So if I get exposed and then I spend five days taking care of patients before I have symptoms during those five days, I could potentially be infecting all those patients. And so we really need better testing, quicker testing, but also better protective equipment so that we can do our jobs and stay healthy to take care of all of you. So the next issue we have is that there are not enough ICU beds. So my hospital, I think right now is doing okay with this, but the hospital that's just our neighboring hospital um, that has was one of the most heavily affected by this, has run out of adult ICU beds, and they have had to start using beds that were intended for neonatal ICU, NICU uh, patients. Um, and we are planning for such a contingency when we get to that point as well. Because if you remember from what I said before uh, in the previous talk, what happens with this disease is people end up needing a ventilator to support them for their breathing, and that can sometimes last for two or three weeks. So these patients we have right now who are on the ventilators may not be off of them as the rising number of cases come through and as people get sicker and sicker, and we won't have enough ventilators left over for the ones that come in. So not having enough ICU beds or ventilators is a huge problem. And of course, critical care physicians are going to become a shortage as well if they get exposed and can't work. And then it's like, who's going to cover for those people? So that rising number of ICU patients is a real thing and is happening um, at our neighboring hospital and likely soon for us as well. And then another thing um, that's probably one of the most sobering things we're facing is that young people are getting critically ill with this. And if I can leave you with nothing else, please know that, okay? This is not a disease of just older adults, okay? We had um, a 42-year-old person die from this. Um, we have multiple people in the 30, 40-year-old age range who um, were previously essentially healthy. Maybe they had some obesity or some hypertension or some diabetes, um, but they are on ventilators. They are very sick. Um, and again, as I mentioned, we have that emergency medicine physician who is actually has none of those things, was completely healthy, 44, and is on a ventilator. So this does affect young, healthy people. Um, anecdotally, I've also heard that there's a 16-year-old on a ventilator with this um, in another state. So um, we need to recognize that there is rising disease among young people. And actually, statistics have come out um, on the deaths in the United States thus far. And it's pretty striking that there is significant critical illness in younger patients. So um, 
to be honest, as physicians, we're scared because we're looking at the fact that we're at higher risk because we work in healthcare. Even though we're young and healthy, we're not protected. We aren't really sure if our protection is adequate. We aren't sure if our testing is adequate. And we aren't sure if we are taking this home to our families each day and what we need to do to uh, keep our families safe from this disease. So um, those are really, that's sort of what's going through our minds right now as, as you see us posting um, and, and a little bit of stress because there's so many unknowns and so many scary factors that we're looking at. All right, so with all of that in mind, what can you do? Are you feeling a little overwhelmed and helpless and scared? Kind of like how some of us doctors are feeling? I get it, I do. But there are things that we can all do. I think of this a little bit as like our generation's war, okay? Um, and I'm not saying that just to be dramatic, but it really is, it's we're at war, right now with COVID and we need to pull together and we need to all do what we can and we need to all make some sacrifices um, because you know we as physicians are going to war and we don't have the equipment we need right so in a wartime you know congress would pass the bill and get us the money right and we make more weapons and we make more defense you know materials obviously i know nothing about war but you know what i mean um, but we don't have that our government's not doing that people are fashioning their own masks right and trying to order them from other countries and it, you know it's really inappropriate frankly so the first thing you can do is is be active about this share about this sign the petitions that we're putting out there to get us more um, safety materials rather than putting us on the front lines with absolutely minimal protection or telling us to just sort of get by. The CDC told us if we were desperate, we could use our own bandanas um, if there weren't any masks to use. Well, no, ramp up production, get some more masks, right? Like make this happen, make this a priority. So reach, you know, reach out to your Congress people, um, share this with other people. If you know people who are hoarding masks or N95 respirators, you know, have them give them to people in the medical field who really need them right now in order to take care of potentially your family member when they come in, right? So that's really, really important. Um, the next thing that you can do is, is be brave and be honest and speak out when you hear misinformation, people downplaying this, people going about their daily lives and saying they're gonna take their planned vacation and get on a plane um, and you know carry this virus to Hawaii where they have minimal resources to care for their population. Um, make sure that you speak out. We can't speak out against all the misinformation ourselves as healthcare workers. We, we've got our other job to do. So you have to help. Now that you know, you have to spread it. You know, shoot, shoot them a nice message with my talk from before and say, hey, you know, I really think you should reconsider that trip to Hawaii. Here's a video kind of explains why, um, you know, whatever. Like you can be nice about it, but let's let's have that conversation. Let's not just scroll on by and let it continue. The only way we fight it is if those of us who know better say something. Okay, so the number one thing that you can do to help us with this is to practice social distancing, all right? I'm gonna give you a brief overview here. You can look it up as well. It's, it's all over the news, all over all these articles. So social distancing means that we have got to, as a community, stop spreading this silently to each other, okay? This is the only way we're gonna buy ourselves some time to figure out how we can treat this, how we can prevent it, how we can get enough supplies, enough ventilators, but we can't do that. We can't go to work and keep trying to work on this while you guys are you know, going to Walt Disney World, which by the way, Walt Disney World um, closed, closed operations, I believe this past Monday. Um, Sunday, the day before they closed down, was packed with people who were getting their one last chance at Disney, just sitting there in this huge mass of people, spreading it around to one another. Um, the Florida beaches this past weekend were just packed with people um, right next to each other. So they're all spreading this all over the place. Um, and people aren't listening to that. And meanwhile, we're not gonna be able to take care of the people that get sick. Or even if you get sick with something else, we're not gonna have a hospital bed or an ICU bed for you. If your baby needs the NICU, we're gonna be using that ventilator to take care of older people or taking an older person off the ventilator to give it back to the baby. 
We don't want to be in that position. Don't put us in that position. Okay. So stay home. Um, be around your family in your home. Don't see anybody else. And this includes, you can't have play dates. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I suppose maybe if you have like one other friend and you only see that one other friend, you know, I guess you could maybe do that, if, especially if it's out of desperation for like childcare reasons so that you can go to work as a healthcare worker or on the front line somewhere. Um, but you can't be like, I have a play date with this one kid this day and the next day a play date with this other kid and next day a play date with this other kid. You can't do that because every time you do that, you're spreading it. Okay. This close contact is how it's spread. Kids are spreading it. Teenagers are spreading it. 20 to 29 year olds are the highest rate of asymptomatic, minimally symptomatic disease, and they're spreading it. Okay. And they're not listening. They're going to clubs and bars and beaches. So you got to cut this down. Again, you got to advocate. Um, so when you see your friend saying, Hey, can your kids come over for a play date? No, remind them they got to be socially isolating and play dates count. <laughs> right. Um, don't have like groups of kids come over for a movie night or a game night. Um, I get it. It sucks. I'm an extrovert. I'm not really a fan of this, but it is what we have to do. Um, other things that people have asked me about, like going to the store. So if you are going to go out, make sure it's necessary. Make sure the trip's quick. Practice um, isolating yourself at least six feet from everybody around you so that you don't inhale or get one of their droplets on you because we know that close contact is really the issue. Um, go in, you know, get what you need, take it home immediately, you know, get stuff out of the bags. Don't put the bags on your counter, right? Go put them, if they're reusable, put them right in the washing machine on, uh, on sanitary. Um, remove the food, take off your shoes, you know, before you go into your home. If you really want to be careful, I would even probably, you know, you can think about changing your clothes when you get home. Um, definitely washing your hands. If you get packages, remember that um, this can live on surfaces uh, up to three days. I think last week I said seven to nine days. We have some new data that's more specific to this virus now that they think it's up to three days. But regardless, if you get a package, you know, it's going to be on the package potentially. Um, so, you know, some people use gloves to bring it in and then wipe it down um, to get it, you know, to take care of that. Um, if someone's going to deliver food to you, you know, ask them to drop it at the door rather than having them hand it to you so you're not getting their air particles or their, their droplets on you in that interaction within a few feet, just of them handing you the food. Take the takeout out of the containers before you serve it. Get the containers away. Don't put them on your counter. I'm trying to think of other things people have asked me. Just any, remember the way this is spread. So it's these droplets that are coming out from me. So if you're in my vicinity while that's happening and I'm coughing, right, and they get on you and you touch your hand and you touch your mouth, then you're infected. If it's close enough that my droplet gets into your mouth and you inhale, potentially that could happen too, right? If I'm holding a package and I cough on the package, then it's sitting there on the package. We think that's less common to pick it up from touching a, another object called a fomite and putting it in than the close contact, but it's good to be careful. Um, if you have family members who are elderly or in high-risk categories like grandmas and grandpas, they can't be around you and your kids. Um, do FaceTime, do things like that. But if your kids are having this little runny nose, sniffles, cough, or they're in the, the early period where they're asymptomatic and they see grandma and they give it to grandma, then it's potential that grandma could get very, very sick. Um, and so unfortunately right now it's really hard, but we can't be seeing those family members. If we're dropping off things for them, we should just drop them at the door, send them a text that we've left it, and then they can pick it up rather than actually seeing them in person. Um, I think childcare is really the remaining issue to be solved. Obviously, if you're in an essential job like healthcare worker or something like that, and you need childcare, do your best to minimize it. So have a babysitter that's like one babysitter for your family and the babysitter only babysits for one family so that they're not going around from family to family, potentially spreading it. Everyone practicing good hygiene, not touching eyes, mouths, 
hand washing, all those kinds of things. Um, you know, obviously if you have to have childcare, that's the way to do it, but it's really not a good time for, you know, kids to be going around babysitting for families just for convenience sake. Um, we really need to be staying home with our own families, um, and only doing absolutely necessary social contact, um, and minimizing the number of people we're in contact with to almost no one outside your family. So I hope that makes sense. Um, again, there's a lot out there about social distancing, but that is the number one thing you can do and enforce it with your friends and family. I know you probably feel like the bad guy, but trust me guys, I think of this like we're at war. We gotta work together. Um, and the only way that we're gonna do that um, is if we all chip in and we do our part. You know, there's a whole generation of people who had to, you know, go into hiding because of the Holocaust or go to war um, and put their lives on the line. So all we're asking is that you stop doing wine nights, play dates, go into the beach for a while so we can get a handle on this. Another thing you can do is if you're not particularly sick, so if you just have mild illness, it seems like it might be COVID, stay home. Don't go to the emergency department or the clinic. Um, that is a place where not only might you potentially infect others, but you might get an infection if that's not actually what you have. And your treatment isn't going to change if you just have mild symptoms. So we can't screen you right now. We can't treat you right now. Stay home and truly self-isolate. Do not be in contact with other people because we don't want you spreading it if that is what you have. Okay, so act as if you are infected and stay home. Now, of course, if you have trouble breathing, very short of breath, lightheaded, super high fevers, pain in your chest, that's a different story. You should go to the emergency department and be evaluated. That's the right place for you in that case. And if you're not sure, you know, of course, err on the side of safety and your own health, but also recognize it's not completely safe to be um, going in with a suspected uh, upper respiratory infection right now in any healthcare system because, again, we have so many potential cases and we have so much difficulty um, with testing and ruling people out and being adequately protected. All right, so I think I'm going to stop there. There were so many other things that people asked me to talk about, so I'll do another video maybe in a couple days instead of waiting a whole week since I know this is a hot topic. But again, those are the issues we're looking at. Please do your part. Please advocate. Please be brave. Um, be Speak out about against misinformation. Um, ask people to help us with supplies. Ask our government to make what we need available to us and be sure to practice that social distancing. Uh, with that, I hope you found this helpful. Um, please let me know any questions you have, um, comments below, subscribe if you find this useful, and I'll be back uh, soon. Thanks for listening to the FitMomMD podcast. You can find out more at FitMomMD.com. Subscribe to our podcast to see what Jenny has in store for us next week.